Jim Shoemaker and Frank Lacarica are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, we have a walk, a great program for you, and welcome to the program today. It's a solid lineup. We've got uh, Kurt Zarnowski going to be with us and Frank Lacarica and Karen Vogelsing is our lineup for the day. It's always going to be one of those that we're answering your questions. We hope we give you information and education that's beneficial to you. Let me remind you, if you have questions, text them to Jim at 901-683-0989. That's 901-683-0989. Or you can email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. You know, we experience that uh, a lot of things going on in today's market. There's a lot of investing problems and concerns, and we're going to answer some of those questions. But one of the things that we try to help you understand is discipline and patience are extremely important, but that's difficult when emotions are running high and you kind of lose your focus. You try to begin to think about what I need to do. Should I change this? Should I do this? And one of the things we try to say and do this program is help you stay focused on your long-term goal and answer your questions. And speaking of problems and questions, the question that we've got today is from a Social Security person that says simply, I want to know about my retirement. I, I know at the earliest that I can claim Social Security is 62. And I want to know if that's smart and should I wait till my full retirement age? My spouse benefit is larger than mine. And if that makes a difference, well, we're going to try to answer that question. We've got an expert that knows that answer without any problem. Also, Frank Lacarico is going to talk about college funding and staying out of debt. And, you know, Frank's going to also step into a question we got from a listener that's simply about dividends and dividend income and how does it affect retirement. So let's go to our first question today. Let's with Kurt Zarnowski. He is the president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting, a frequent guest of ours, always does a great job. Kurt, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Jim. Great to be back with you. You know what I was thinking? I think you and I met each other probably about 10 years ago. I think that's in, right. In uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and we've had this relationship going on for a decade You're now. You're exactly so, uh, right. By the way, I was going to yeah. tell you that I'm going to be in Boston about two months from now, and uh, I'll buy you breakfast. How's that? Notice I I'll said make breakfast. sure I alert the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, my friend. Here's the question, Kurt. This is, I, you know, I think it's a question that is very, you know, one of those that you kind of lean into because if this is so real to a lot of people. She says, and it's a lady, she says, I know the earliest that I can claim Social Security is 62. Is that smart or should I wait until my full retirement age my spouse's benefit is larger than mine if that makes a difference. All right, Mr. Expert, Kurt Sarnowski, you're up, man. Answer that question. Sure. You know, and so I get this question all the time. So as I say, I'm never an advisor. I don't try and tell people what they should do, but I want people to understand what they can do so that they can then make an informed decision about what's the best choice for them. And the place to start for everyone is to understand or know what is considered someone's full retirement age month. Key concept under the program, when Social Security started in 1935, it was the month you turned age 65. 
It's gradually been increasing over time. For anyone born 1960 or later, your full retirement age month is the month you turn age 67. Now, under the rules of the program, regardless of what your full retirement age month is, you can start to collect as early as age 62, as the questioner indicates. But here's the thing, you have to start collecting prior to reaching your full retirement age month. Well then, because it's a social insurance program and Congress has built a social goal into it that at the end of the day, based on average life expectancy, they hope that everyone ends up with roughly the same amount of total lifetime social security payments regardless of when they start to collect. So you have to start at any point prior to reaching your social security full retirement age month well, now, because you're starting sooner, and then in theory anyway, will be collecting for a longer period of time, you'll find that your monthly payment amount gets reduced. How much reduction? Well, it's roughly a half a percent per month for each month prior to your full retirement age that you opt to collect. Half percent per month, roughly a 6% per year reduction by starting early. And oh yeah, Jim, it's a permanent reduction. Another one of those mister out there. So we've got somebody, full retirement age of 67, born 1960 or later. So under the rules, that person can start to collect as early as the month he or she turns age 62. But the way the reduction factor works out, you start collecting at age 62, your full retirement age month benefit going to be reduced by 30%. So you're going to get $1,000 a month at age 67. You start at age 62, you get $700 per month. Now, you're getting $300 less each month, but the trade-off obviously is you get that lower amount sooner and collect it for a longer period of time. And as you wait and defer and defer, the closer you get to that full retirement age month, the higher your benefit is or you suffer less of a reduction. But also important for people to understand, you have to wait past your full retirement age before starting to collect. Well, then your payment is increased. These are called delayed retirement credits, and your benefit grows by two-thirds of a percent for each month that you don't collect between your full retirement age month and the month you turn age 70. So for this person, again, full retirement age of 67, it's important to note that delayed retirement credits only accrue until age 70. And so if that person were to wait until age 70, they'd see that full retirement age benefit increase by 8% for each one of those three years or a 24% increase at age 70 over what the person would have collected at age 67. So if we think about this as a continuum, and I try and help people visualize it, that full retirement age benefit of $1,000 at age 67, you start as early as 62, you get $700 a month. You wait until age 70, because it makes no sense to collect past, uh, wait past age 70 to start collecting. You know, you're going to get $1,240 a month, which is the difference of $540 per month more if you wait all the way until age 70. So in terms of helping people understand what they need to do, it's important for people to make consideration of things like their health, longevity, then they need the money, they keep them working. Because, you know, at the end of the day, Jim, I've said this on the show before with tongue planted firmly in cheek, it's a very simple decision to make about when to start collecting. You just need to know 
when you're going to die, right? Because <laughs> ultimately it's a longevity decision. So yeah. it's a question of what makes the most sense, but recognize you start sooner, you get a lower amount for the rest of your life. You wait longer before you collect, you get a higher payment amount for the rest of your life. But to me, when Congress set the reduction rate and increase rate so many years ago, based on average life expectancy, it was all supposed to come out about even. But now with life expectancy increasing, you know, perhaps it makes sense for people to wait if they can. But again, I never tell people what they should do. Well, now, uh, you know, it's, that's the key right there. I think the question, she's asking a very strong question. She's thinking, and, I, and as I listen to her and talk to her, I think her question was simply, my husband's going to have the bigger amount. But, you know, you're, you're making a very good point that uh, waiting is going to put more money into the pocket if they, if, you know, from that standpoint. So it's very difficult, but I appreciate you going through that scenario of the changes from 62 to 67 to 70 or whatever those dates were. And that, I think that's important for people to know. When I did the segment, so, we did a segment on Wednesday, and uh, the question came up about from that segment that we did, and it's a live segment that we do every Wednesday at about 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, the question, and it's always a question, Kurt, and I don't know why you have to answer it every time we're on the show together, but, uh, you know, it's that younger generation asking the question, is Social Security going to be a benefit that I get? Will it still be here? Now, you answer the question every time, but this time, and I tried the best I could to answer it, but I'm thinking, man, I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to have Kurt Zornowski on. Listen to us on Saturday, because that's the bottom line. This guy knows the answer. So can you just, in a short thumbnail mindset of help people understand, why will Social Security be here for that 25, 30, 35-year-old person? Sure. And, you know... Jim, I worked for the Social Security Administration for 34 years, started back in 1976. And when I started working for Social Security, I'd go to Zarnowski family functions, and the Zarnowski uncles at that age would come up with their arm around me and go, Kurt, is uh, Social Security going to be there for me when uh, I retire? So it's a universal question that people ask of every age. And to quote the great Yogi Berra, I'm reluctant to make predictions, especially about the future, but here's the answer I always give when asked about what's the future of Social Security. And I tend to think also to quote Mark Twain, who once said, reports of my demise are greatly exaggerated. You know, each year, Social Security's trustees issue a financial report on the current health of the system, attempt to project 75 years in the future. The 2022 report came out in June and says, as currently constituted, assuming no changes to the program whatsoever, they project Social Security will have enough money on hand to cover 100% of the promised benefits each and every month between now and the end of the year 2034. And the report then goes on to say, which a lot of people tend to overlook, that from that point going forward, they project Social Security will have enough money on hand to cover 80% of promised benefits assuming that Congress does nothing between now and then to deal with the changes to the program, because that's an important point, particularly for younger folks who say, oh, there's not going to be anything there for me. Keep in mind, Jim, Social Security's primary source of income, payroll tax dollars collected from employers, employees, and people who are self-employed. So as long as the economy is functioning in some form or fashion, Social Security will always have a revenue stream of some sort. It's never going to be at the point where there's no money coming in whatsoever, unless we get to the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome scenario. So the question is, looking forward, trustees project 
again, assuming no changes whatsoever, beginning in the year 2035, there'll still be enough FICA tax revenue to cover 80% of the benefits promise. So the issue confronting Congress on the future of the program is not how you close a 100% funding gap by tomorrow. No, it's how over the course of the next 12 years or so, you come up with some changes to the program that close that 20% funding gap so the system will be able to continue to pay 100% of the benefits it's promised, just as it has since the first recurring payments were made back in 1939. Well, I think, and you know, and again, I so much appreciate how you answer that because you've got that um, assurance and the mindset is that you have the history. I think people ask that, as you said, it's universal and it's generational. You're going to ask the question, there'll be grandkids will be asking the question when they're getting ready to retire again and again and again. And I I think it's a good question, but again, you reassure us that, you know, there's ways of tweaking it and moving it and making sure that it continues to be there. If you just uh, joined us, my guest is Kurt Zarnowski. He is the president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting, and we're answering questions and giving us insight about Social Security, and we're going to ask him in just a minute, what are we expecting with COLA? But before that, let me just tell you what's coming up. Frank Lacarica is going to talk about college funding with uh, staying out of debt. How do you do college funding for your kids or grandkids and stay out of debt? Karen Vogelsing is here in the second half. She's the executive director of Rise to Read. And we're going to talk about some exciting plans that they have for the new school year and how you can participate in teaching a third grader in your hometown how to read. You don't want to miss that coming up. Kurt, the question is, and everybody's kind of, um, there's this mindset, I'm excited about the fact that there's going to be a cost of living increase. Explain that to our audience and what does it mean to have a COLA increase, this cost of living adjustment and uh, expect it? What are you expecting it to be? And good, bad, or indifferent? Sure. So I think, you know, it's important to understand one of the benefits of Social Security is that it is akin to a defined benefit pension, meaning you become eligible for benefits, you get paid each and every month until you pass away. In other words, it's impossible to outlive your Social Security benefits. But in addition to that, Since 1975, people collecting Social Security benefits have received an annual guaranteed cost of living adjustment in their payments designed to help them not become wealthier than they were when they started collecting, but designed to help those benefits stay even with inflation so that they don't lose purchasing power over time. And that COLA protection is incredibly important given the fact people are living longer and longer in retirement. If you don't have some measure of inflation protection built into the income that you have, the longer you live in retirement, the purchasing power of those benefits falls off the cliff. So the COLA cost of living adjustment, Social Security looks at a measure called the Consumer Price Index for Urban Wage Earners and Clerical Workers. The abbreviation is the CPIW. It's a measure of inflation tracked by the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics. And the period of time that Social Security looks at in determining the amount of the upcoming COLA is to compare the CPIW for the third quarter of one calendar year with the third quarter of the following calendar year. So now we're right in the middle of the measuring period. And at the end of September, the economists at the Bureau of Labor Statistics will have figured out how much that CPIW, that index, has increased from 
July, August, September of 2021 to July, August, September of 2022. And whatever that increase proves to be, that will be passed along automatically to Social Security beneficiaries at the end of the year and will show up in the payments that they receive beginning in January. So there's been a lot of speculation about, well, this may be the highest cost of living adjustment in over 40 years because inflation clearly has been running higher than uh, anticipated and probably higher than people desire, which is both the double-edged sword, good news and bad news. Because, sure, if there is indeed a high cost of living adjustment, that means people get more money in their pocket, but it also is a result of the fact that prices have been increasing. So as I said, it's that double-edged sword, but mm. it is the consumer price index for urban and wage earners and clerical workers, the third quarter of one calendar year compared to the third quarter of the following calendar year. That increase gets announced mid-October and shows up in payments received in January. So we'll see what's happening now. Again, earlier in the year, there were prediction, predictions around 10% or, or, or whatever, but we just saw in the most recent numbers um, that the, the inflation appears to have slowed a little bit in comparison of uh, June to July. Um, so we'll see what happens. Again, um, as I said in answering a prior question, I'm reluctant to make predictions, <laughs> especially about the future. Um, but I think we're probably, uh, if the trend continues over the course of this month and next month, we're probably looking at a COLA in the neighborhood of, say, 7%. Um, but again, that's a double-edged sword. It's a good news because it means payments will increase, but it also, it's important in, uh, to understand that that increase is because, because prices have been increasing as well. So, but it is a good thing that it's not dependent on a separate vote of Congress every year. It's automatic, but it's based on this increase in the CPIW, the third quarter of one calendar year to the third quarter of the next. Well, By the way, a year ago, you asked me to predict <laughs> did, the cola that showed up again. in this January. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I said 6%. Yes. Turned out to be 5.9%. I was pretty close. Yep. But if people watched the prices right, you know that you have to be closest, <laughs> highest without going over. And since I went over by a tenth of percent, I didn't win the big uh, talk money. You didn't win the uh, best. Why I still have the check. So for this year, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I th I think seven percent. Uh, All right, so write we'll it down. That, we'll and keep we'll that see in what mind. Happens. All right, my friend. Always great to have you on the program. You always do a phenomenal job of answering questions that our listeners have. And if you've got a question for Kurt, Kurt, just send it to me. That's Jay Shoemaker at Shoemaker Financial, or you can send it to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com, or you can text that question to 901-683-0989 and we will make sure Kurt gets that question. We'll be getting it on the air and uh, have him back in a later date to answer that question. We have a something we want to provide for you. It's called Four Critical Social Security Facts That Retirees Must Know. It is uh, written for you. It's free. Just go to our Facebook page, Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document. And again, four critical Social Security facts retirees must know. It's absolutely free. Kurt, thank you so much, sir. Have a wonderful day. I'll give you a call. I'll buy you breakfast in October. All righty. Thanks, Jim. Yes, sir. Thank Travel you. Travel safe. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, you know, it's always to have, great to have him on the program. And coming up in the second half of the program, we got Karen Vogel saying she's the executive director of Rise to Read. Now, you don't want to miss that part of the program because she's going to talk about 
some things that you need to know about what's going on in our city, some how to really make a difference in a third grader's life in your hometown, and that's important. You talk, We talk about things that are not good in Memphis, things that are good in Memphis, but if you really want to step into your hometown, your city, and make an impact, it's teaching a third grader. It changes a life. It redirects their life when they learn how to read as a third grader. And that's what we're going to be talking about with Karen Vogelsing, the executive director of Arise to Read. But first, Frank Lacarica, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, Jim. Good to be back again. Well, it's good to have you, sir. And we're going to talk about the reality of, uh, you know, some college funding and how to do that. Everybody's talking about education today, you know. It's a hot topic. It's an expensive topic. (laughs) It's an expensive (laughs) topic. But uh, we have a question that's coming up when we get a chance to get to it. I'm going to give you, it's kind of a question. I'll read the question and it's linked when we come back. But the question kind of talks about stocks, dividend-paying stocks. Now, you've got to answer it. What are the advantages and the disadvantages of dividend-paying stocks? Could I potentially have enough dividends coming in if I've really built this portfolio to supplement my salary and my retirement? That's his question, but I'll get it to you in greater detail so you can answer it coming up in just a few minutes. But um, but also college funding and how to do it. And it's expensive and there's a lot of rules to it. And you're going to talk about that also. We'll, we'll cover we'll cover a couple things uh, with regard to college funding and hopefully, you know, the listeners will be a little bit more or a little bit more, a little bit better equipped to kind of handle it, you know, I like moving that. forward. All right, my friend. Coming up, Frank Lacarica will be back in just a minute. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. You may miss out on certain state tax advantages if you choose another state's 529 plan. Any state-based benefit should be one of many appropriately weighed factors to be considered in making an investment decision. Participation in a 529 plan does not guarantee that the contributions and investment returns will be adequate to cover higher education expenses. Contributors to the plan assume all investment risk, including the potential for loss of principal and any penalties for non-educational withdrawals. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski, Zarnowski Consulting, Karen Vogelsang, or Arise to Read. The views and opinions expressed are those of Karen Vogelsang and Kurt Zarnowski only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I want to remind you that coming up, we're going to be talking with Karen Vogelsing, and I really want you to stay with us to listen to what this lady is going to tell you about our city. The state recently published that the third grade reading proficiency of Memphis and Shelby County was 23%. 
and she's making an impact, and she needs your help, and we want you to know about what we can do in your hometown and how you can have an impact on a third grader in our great city of Memphis and Shelby County. So you don't want to miss that part of the program. But first, Frank, you have got the subject. Now, let me read you the question that this young man sent us. I mean, he, right. he's, he says, Jim, I am a young investor at 24, and I have been aggressively invest, investing in stocks that provide dividends to increase my investing capital. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. My question is, are there any disadvantages to having a portfolio that is dividend-heavy, and could I potentially have enough dividends to supplement a salary. Now, I like his question. That shows me a tremendous amount of insight over this young man. So let's start with you, sir. How, how do you want to answer that question? That's a good question. And, and, and to your point, it's refreshing to see somebody so young concerned with kind of saving for retirement investing. It, it's, it's, there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sure he's not a rare individual. <laughs> I hope not. I hope uh, not. Let's, let's kind of start by unpacking uh, dividends versus uh, non-dividend stocks. So uh, dividends, uh, dividend-paying stocks, uh, they, they provide investors with uh, regular income as the stock price, stock price moves up and down with the market. So as the price moves up, dividend goes up, price moves down, dividend goes down. Companies that don't offer cash dividends, um, they reinvest the revenues from their earnings back into the company itself. Uh, and the hope is that that will lead to an increased share price over time, thus increasing your capital through an appreciating stock price. Okay, so you've so, got the two scenarios, dividend paying and a non-dividend paying, both good stocks, both quality, just a different way they do it. One's paying a dividend, maybe not raising in, rising in value, but mm-hmm. the other one's more focused on value going up, and that's the, that's the difference. That, that's the difference. One, okay. one, one returns capital back to the investor. The other return, uh, invests capital into growth. That, that's okay. just basically what you're doing. saying is you can't really say, well, one's better than the other. They just do different things. They, they, they're, they're, uh, they're designed differently, yes. Okay. No, no, um, to, to say that ignoring non-dividend companies is a, is a good strategy, that, that's, that's not, not a great strategy. Okay. Um, there are certainly opportunities to be found uh, inside growth-oriented, non-dividend-paying companies. Um, you know, and like we talked about, the value is holding and selling down the road. You know, hopefully you're buying when the price is lower and we're holding, letting appreciation do the work, letting the, the reinvestment of the capital into the into the company increase that, that stock price and then having an opportunity to sell it for a profit down the road. Um, so that's kind of the, the difference between between the two. Um, uh, to answer his question, though, a well-rounded, diversified portfolio is, is important. Um, and that's going to include dividend and non-dividend paying stocks. And diversification, though, d- let's be clear, it, that doesn't mean you're not going to lose. You, you, you could certainly lose. And just because a company performed well in the past does not mean it's going to perform well in the future. So past performance is not an indication of future performance. It's not. And, and so to, 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 to really get to the crux of the question, could you eventually have enough dividends to supplement a salary? Maybe. <laughs> There's no guarantee there. <laughs> Are you good? Um, the, the risk is that the dividends, you know, the companies you're buying, um, you know, they, they, you're at the mercy of them to decide when to declare and pay a dividend. The stock price could be up or down. You know, ultimately, if supplementing your, your income is a goal later on in life, 
dividend-paying stocks are one of many ways to accomplish it. So, great question. That's a great question. So, the bottom line is uh, one's not better than the other, and he's got opportunity, and what he's doing sounds like he's definitely ahead of the game. Say, say saving's the most important At thing. At 24, I'm impressed. Uh, you can't In fact, I'm going to give him a call and see if he'll come to work. I mean, maybe he's, yeah, maybe that's what I need to do. That's a, got a smart man. That's yeah, good. I like it. Good I like it. Shoulders. All right, let's talk about college funding. I mean, recently there was a study out by the Annual Survey of College they did this survey every time trends for college planning and pricing and it's from the college board it was done in 2019 for the 2019 2020 year and it said for institutions in state the cost was about ten thousand four hundred forty dollars mm-hmm. out of state twenty six thousand eight hundred dollars now that's you know that's just tuition yeah that's not, not room, room and board, board nothing meals just tuition. I can't remember what I paid to go to college, but it wasn't $10,000. Maybe for the four years it was, maybe. I don't remember. But it you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a burden, and mm-hmm. obviously we see an enormous amount of debt that builds up. And so let's talk about ways that a person, a family, grandparents, parents, students can apply themselves to work ways to make this payment not be, at the end of four years, a huge debt, but something they've paid their process. Maybe they start when the baby's born. Yeah. You know, when you got that start, that's the best time to start, but sometimes they don't because they're doing other things that kind of not a priority at the time, and Mm -hmm. then it stares them in the face. But let's talk about that. But I know there's some characteristics that they have to consider. Yep. And let me me make sure that I guess, I mean, this is important when we talk about 529 plans. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what I know you're going to head to is talk about a 529 plan. Right. Well, well, and the the characteristics, you know, with regard to to, to anything in general, you know, we want to talk about, you know, taxation. Are the contributions tax deductible, tax deferred? How will the distributions be taxed? Financial aid, you know, assuming you can qualify, is there an impact on eligibility based off of a 529 versus maybe utilizing an IRA? Uh, And then growth, we obviously want the, 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 the account to grow. So um, what are the prospects for growth in the vehicle, whichever vehicle you choose to supplement college income over time? You know, those are three important ones. Well, those are important characteristics, yeah. I know. And you talked about taxation, financial aid, growth and accumulation. Yep. I know, too, that really make a difference in my life is mm-hmm. control. Who controls the account now and in the future? There used to be something we'd do where the child would you know, you do a Uniform Gift to Minors Act, and you'd end up allowing that child. And when he turned 18, guess what? Had a fancy car. <laughs> you you didn't, didn't have, have the control. So there is, a, there is that question. You need to know who is in control and flexibility. Who can contribute? How much can you contribute? And for what purpose can you contribute? Those are so important. And I think, the, you know, do you know what the future holds for this child? Mm-hmm. Those are things that you have to think about with flexibility. And, and that's important. But... At the same time, kind of the catch-all for really the important credit characteristics you're talking about is estate planning. Some strategies, when you think about this, is will not you know reduce your taxable estate, even though you've given the money away. And mm-hmm. that's something you have to take into consideration. You just have to know the estate planning pros and cons before you just make this decision. So those characteristics are critical. Oh yeah, and when considering any any college funding plan, those are you want to look through the lens of those six things, you know, kind of evaluate each one of them individually. All right, we don't let's get this going because I want to talk about 529 plans, okay. but I want to skim that because I know I don't know I don't mean skim that. I want to cover that, but 529 plans, but the reality is I really want to get into using a Roth IRA because I know a lot of people are not as familiar with that as maybe they are 
529 plans. Okay. So um, 529 plans, uh, QTPs, qualified tuition programs, uh, they can offer significant income, income tax benefits, tax-free earnings and growth, tax-free withdrawals if we use for qualified educational expenses. The money the money's invested similar to a 401k or Roth IRA. It could be used, uh, it could be transferred from one child to another, uh, but has to be used for a qualifying education expense or else it's subject to a 10% penalty. Um, and it is counted um, as an asset when applying for financial aid. Uh, so that's where it's kind of different in, in a Roth and an IRA. Um, and then, you know, a person's state of residence uh, offers tax advantages to residents who participate in the plan. You know, just, just, just there's, there's various things to consider. With regard to the, the Roth IRA, a little bit more simple there. Um, uh, when applying for financial aid, you do not have to list your retirement assets uh, as 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 a, um, as a as a as a source of income for paying for tuition. You know the downside is these are earmarked for retirement. You know if whatever you use for education, you obviously are not going to have for later. later so on let's for talk about that for a second. I mean, the Roth IRA is something that maybe a grandparent or parent's been saving for and they get to this point and mm -hmm. they say, you know, I've got to make a decision. Yeah. You're talking about the immediate now, nasty now and now or the future and, you know, the favorable future. And you think about that. But sometimes it takes a little bit, maybe counsel. Maybe they yeah. seek your counsel to say, what do I do? What if I pull this out now and I don't have a debt? My child doesn't have a debt. You know, now if you did it, if you got five kids, and you did it for all five kids, you won't retire. You keep right on working into the. You're going to want to call Kurt about but, Social Security at that but point. You, yeah, right. <laughs> but the point is, I guess you've got to make that decision, and it is a usable dollar. It, it is. And tell us about how you use it. So, uh, Roth IRAs, um, so long as it's used, again, you're going to hear that qualifying educational expense. It has to be used for that in the year that the expense was occurred. You're able to access your Roth dollars, which are tax-free without the 10% penalty. So you can utilize Roth dollars to pay for uh, college expenses, qualifying expense for, you know, you, your spouse, your child, um, or your grandchild. So you, you, you can absolutely use those um, to help pay for college. If you had just joined us, Frank Lacarica and I are talking about a very sensitive subject for a lot of parents and grandparents. How does you pay for the college education without going into debt? He's talked about a 529 plan and giving you some characteristics that you need to understand about a 529 plan, but he's talking about having an IRA and what you can and cannot do. How would you summarize this for this person listening today? I mean, I want you to know what to do and what not to do, and Frank's going to give us that, you know, again, thumbnail thought, Frank. So if, if you're if if you're one of if you're one of the you know the the, the many people who've have done a phenomenal job saving for, for for retirement, you're 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 retired, you're enjoying your retirement, you don't necessarily need all of those IRA dollars to help supplement your income. There is potential there to utilize those to help pay for grandchildren's college. So there's there there are options for you, options available to you to help you know, relieve the burden of what are becoming you know, very, just extremely expensive uh, higher educational costs. Well, I think the, the reality is, is just knowing about it. And Frank, you could like to talk to Frank, it's telephone number 757-5757. And, you know, making that decision is, is critical. And I, I think what I hear you saying is withdrawing from your retirement plan. It's a possibility. It's possible. Is it, is it the best option? No, start saving when they're more would well, be the best it, option. But you should, it is if you're going to do that, it should be considered yeah. 
only as the last, as last resort. resort. Yeah. And that's important. And I do like what you say, start early. Be disciplined, putting the money aside. Everybody thinks the kid's going to get this college, you know, free ride because of a scholarship. And believe it or not, that doesn't happen very often. It does, granted, but not as often as you think. And all of a sudden you've created a debt. Mom's dad and mom and dad's either going to pay for it. Grandparents are going to pay for it or the child's going to pay for it. A scholarship's not a financial plan. That's a good point. <laughs> good point. Well, let's talk about a financial idea here. This is really about a, a program that I am so excited about because what it does in our city is changes the direction of third graders and how that is so important for us. I want to welcome to the studios Karen Vogelsing, the executive director of Arise to Read. Thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, I'm so glad to be back, Jim. Thank you for having me. Well, you are a frequent guest of ours because this is a program. If you have not heard her talk about this, you're talking about a lady that is passionate. She's a teacher by profession, and she is now so committed to changing the direction of children that really struggle reading. And I want to just know more about the program. I talked about this earlier that Memphis Shelby County Schools their reading proficiency is at 23%. Yes. I really don't want to know what the other cities are in the state. I know that's low, and I know that's not good. What are we seeing, and what are you thinking about? Uh, well, you know, 23% of our third graders in Memphis Shelby County Schools are reading at a proficient level, and that 23% uh, really brings us back to where we were pre-pandemic. Um, so the district definitely made some significant gains in helping children where they were from the prior year because the prior year, the reading proficiency rate was 3%. So definitely made some gains there. But if you, your child or grandchild came home and uh, the teacher told you that they were at the 23%, 23rd percentile, you'd be very disappointed. You know, average is 50%. Uh, so we've got to come together as citizens throughout Shelby County. We've got to lock arms together. We've got to get in our schools and we've got to support our youngest children and helping them to become proficient readers. You can't become um, a functioning, productive citizen in our community if you are not a proficient reader. Reading is literally the door to all professions. So we have to make sure that our children in early elementary grades are reading at grade level by the time they leave third grade. We cannot wait until they're in fourth or fifth grade, let alone middle or high school. Let's suppose you wait. Let's suppose that that child is a third grader is not reading proficiently. Okay, just, just help me with this. What would you say is the direction of that child by the time they're in high school? Well, that's if they make it to high school. If they make it so if you look at the national statistics that are out there, 66% of fourth graders not reading on grade level are likely to be incarcerated or require government assistance. So I can tell you when I was a teacher in Fraser, I had two students in second grade that we had to call the gang unit out on because the gangs were already bringing them into the fold. So again, this is not something that we can wait until children are in even late elementary school because kindergarten, first and second grade are when children are learning to read. And at third grade, they're transitioning to read to learn. So if you are a third grader and you're not a proficient reader, it's gonna be very, very difficult for you to read and comprehend. And that's the whole goal of reading is to comprehend, to understand what you're reading. So if you're not able to do that in third grade, then you're on a downhill trajectory unless you can find some really strong support between then and really, I mean, you think about it, third grade reading proficiency is the first gateway. 
the next the next gate or next hurdle to get over is high school graduation so that you have choices for college or career so that you can even go and get those Roth IRAs to pay for college. You know, I'm going to be interviewing coming up in a couple of weeks the guy that, I mean, he's been the kind of the director of what's going on with the Ford Motor Plant that's going to be out in West Tennessee, going to have a tremendous impact into our city. And I've had a couple of conversations with him, and he's talked about the fact that, you know, the educational system here has got to improve, and, and they're going to spend some time and energy. But this is what we as a city, you know, we can complain a lot, but when you talk about 66%, if they're not reading, you know, by the time they get to the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, end up incarcerated, and that has to change. We want them to be able to go to work at the Ford Motor Plant and change their direction to from lower middle class or low class, poor class, to a middle class. And Absolutely. this is what we're talking about. But they got to learn to read. Yeah. All right, let me say this. I want people to understand, you are listening to somebody who's having an impact. And how can you participate with this? Most of your partners, Karen, I know, are faith-based organizations that provide volunteers and, in some cases, financial support. Right. But how about the businesses here? I mean, mm. you're talking, let me tell you what I had. I was talking to somebody, a plumber. He owns a huge plumbing company. He said, the biggest concern I've got is I've got to make sure my employees are not ending up out in West Tennessee. And they're staying here with me because I've right. trained them and I've educated them. Right. And this is about teaching people to read yeah. and how to move and motivate themselves to know more. So how can businesses get involved with the Rise to Read? Well, we're very fortunate right now just to have a small number of businesses that see the value in the work that we're doing. And they're doing that, one, by helping us provide uh, funding to cover just our costs at a particular school. It costs us about $6,500 to $7,000 per school year to provide the supplies, the books, and some teacher appreciation gifts for the teachers um, in the course of a school year. Per school? Per school, per school year. And, and so very inexpensive. It works out to being less than $50 per child per month. You can't go and hire a tutor for $50 an hour. So for businesses, we've got businesses that are providing that financial support, but the leaders of those businesses are also allowing their employees to leave work once a week for an hour a week to come and support two second graders to become proficient readers. So they're investing in the community by investing in the schools, in the children in those schools and helping them become proficient readers. Because let's face it, we're very blessed to have Blue Oval City coming into our community. But in order for having other organizations, other businesses like that come into Shelby County or into the surrounding areas, we've got to have an educated workforce. And 23% of our third graders reading on grade level is not a great indicator that we're going to have an educated workforce that we need to attract these businesses. So businesses can partner with us, whether that's just allowing their employees to go and volunteer with two children for just one hour a week or do both. Um, we're very flexible. We will welcome anybody that wants to partner with us. You know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Reading is first. Yes. And I don't know why it's first, but I can understand. You know, <laughs> I was taught that from a very young, young age. Now, 6500 to $7,000 covers one school. Yes. All right. There's a lot of people that have misconceptions. You know, just they, they really don't, and they, and they don't, you know, it's like, well, maybe, I'm not sure. Help me, help us kind of clear up these yeah, misconceptions yeah. about serving as a partner to go into a school and teach. Well, you know, most of our, obviously we are serving children in high, high community, high or high needs communities, high poverty areas. So there's an element of fear. 
Um, I worked in the Fraser School for 10 years and never had one instance come up where I was ever scared of being at the school, walking out of the school at six o'clock at night or anything like that. Schools are really in a lot of respects a safe haven. And one of the things that we encourage, you know, a lot of our volunteers are retirees, but one of the things that we do is we encourage, whether it's folks from a business or folks from a faith-based organization, carpool together to go to a school, but you're going to have support there. You're not showing up by yourself and going and tutoring when you feel like it. The schools give us a specific schedule so you can go in as a group. We're going to have a lead volunteer there that's going to be there to support you. I have seven ladies on staff that are going to be there to support you as well. And the school and the children are just so welcoming. They're so appreciative of the support. And while volunteers think they're going to go in and make a difference for the, the two children that they're going to serve, they absolutely do. But those children are going to make a difference for that volunteer. Yeah and see the impact that they make. That's the key right there. I mean, that's the, dealing with those misconceptions, I appreciate what you're saying. The impact on the person doing the tutoring is just as important as the impact on the student. Absolutely. that's critical for us to understand. Karen Vogelsing, Karen V at Arise 2, the letter 2, the number 2, excuse me, read.org. Karen V at Arise, the letter, the number 2, Read. At O-R-G. How can our listeners get involved? Real easy. On August 31st, we are going to have our annual kickoff at Bellevue Baptist Church. We got some sweet treats for you. It's going to begin at 930. It'll be an hour long. You can come and learn more about getting involved with the Rise to Read. You're going to hear a great keynote speaker who's going to talk about her experience, about how just one person in her education life made a difference in her trajectory. And she is now uh, has her doctorate in education. So one person can make a difference in the life of a child. If you're interested then in serving with Arise to Read, you can stay after for another hour and get trained. And then from that training, you'll have an opportunity to look at the 36 schools that we have that have um, reached out for support from Arise to Read this year. You can look at their schedules and you can figure out which school is going to match up location-wise and schedule-wise with your schedule, your preferences, and then um, we'll get you started in mid-September. So we welcome the opportunity for you to come and learn more about how you can make a difference for a child. What's the date again? August the 31st, 9.30 a.m. at Bellevue Baptist Church. Arise to Read. Arise to the number two, read, R-E-A-D dot O-R-G. If you want to talk to Karen, it's Karen V at rise to read dot O-R-G. Thank you, lady. So much Thank appreciate you. you. It is a great program. You need to check in into it and know more about it. And so you can reach out to her. I want to thank my guest. Kurt Zarnowski obviously did a great job. Frank Larica, phenomenal home run. Karen Volgesine, always a pleasure to have her. She just so passionate about what she does. If you have questions for Karen, you can reach her at 901-497-0618. If you have questions for Kurt or Frank, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. You can find our show, Talk Money, on an Apple podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Much appreciated. If you have questions, I always remind you this. Let me tell you this. Type Jim, J-I-M, to the text line, 901-683-0989 at 683-0989, or you can send the email to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find a copy of the PDF that I mentioned earlier, Four Critical Social Security Facts That Retirees Must Know, 
Go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, excuse me, and search for the document. It's in our post. It's absolutely free. Next week, we got Bob Dahl, Steve Anderson, and Shannon Dyson. Very big lineup. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 12 noon. Our producer, I want to thank him, Maximilian, guest and content coordination, Francis Fordner, production and marketing assistant, Lauren Norsworthy, compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Frank Lacarica are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.